CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Well, the Daylight Savings Time gave us an extra hour this week, so we figured might as well spend an extra hour with all of you. Yes, a two-hour edition of the Canadian Football Countdown, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Two-hour playoff preview special here. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. We're going to be talking a lot this week week about all of the playoff matchups coming up we'll do our cfl awards lots of fun stuff today mike fun stuff and there's drama too yes uh it's so a quick rundown of how things are going to work for this episode of the podcast we'll start off with uh some quick uh thoughts on the games from week 21 we'll make that pretty quick We'll uh, wrap up the regular season of CFL Fantasy and CFL Pick'em. The results are in for CFL Fantasy. I know them. Mike doesn't. We'll reveal them in hour one as well. Then we'll get into our nominees and winners for the CFL's major awards. Uh, take a quick break at the end of hour number one and then kick off hour number two. We'll be joined by uh, the great Travis Curra from the Two and Out CFL podcast uh, to talk all things playoffs, different storylines around the CFL, a bit of CFPN fantasy, and of course talking about what they've got planned for the Grey Cup over at the Two and Out CFL podcast. Also a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And then we'll get into the playoff matchups, we'll break them all down, we'll talk storylines going in the playoffs, and yes, of course, we will make our playoff predictions here today on this episode of the podcast. So, Mike, start us off. Week 21, for the most part, a lot of guys resting, a lot of teams that aren't in the playoffs giving some guys some tryouts. What, what, what's your takeaway from week 21? Uh, what, what intrigued you the most this week? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I only watched the games that had playoff implications. Um, and that's no disrespect to everybody else in this CFL. Um, I did have a very busy schedule, but yes, I I did make an attempt to watch the Saskatchewan game, and I did make an attempt to watch the ending of the BC Calgary game. Saw a snippet of the game on Friday night. Um, yeah, it's just... All in all, it's, it's neat to see the different teams that uh, are going to the playoffs and how they elected to get there. Um, of course, one of the playoff teams are Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but not a bye week this week. And, you know, it's interesting how different teams took different paths to get to the playoffs. Uh, the team that was 2-5 and five or 2-6 and six in their last eight, uh, a lot to interest, a lot of top-end guys for a crossover game that's week. I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, we saw an emerging quarterback potentially in Saskatchewan, although 
you know, people would stop me, right? It was 10 points in the first quarter and not much after that. So how you see that and then seemingly Calgary having so much trouble with BC, which I did not foresee coming and Brandon Bridge making his appearance. And I know you got some thoughts about that. Uh, you relate to me, uh but uh, what more was uh, there to happen, right? I mean, BC's got nothing to play for. They they have a right to put whoever they want a quarterback. And I just feel for Brandon Bridge, right? Because before he threw those two pits, I thought he was having himself quite a game. And I was like, snap our fingers. And the Brandon Bridge that has been basically out of the CFL this whole year, give and take the last couple of weeks kind of appeared and now all kinds of questions are being asked yeah uh very interesting i think playoff implications too and from then those we games. talked about hamilton did in their 15th win and seemingly hamilton fa- fashion yeah well hamilton fashion i think is any which way possible Right? right, and that was just another one right a watch off field goal after hayden moore throws four interceptions I mean, my my question to that is, and I did not see any of this game. And, Neither did I, to be honest. And uh, you had told me about this watch-off, and I knew what you were talking about because you're not a baseball fan, and watch-off is generally a term that's used for baseball. So. Not to mention baseball ended this week. Uh, so I figured out that uh, you soon meant uh, watch-off field goal and how Hamilton... I'm sorry, how Toronto didn't win this game despite forcing four turnovers to me just speaks to, I think, the talent disparity issue that this team has. And, you know, I, I liked a lot of what I saw the last couple of weeks at quarterback for them. So maybe they move one of those quarterbacks to help fortify the roster elsewhere. Yeah, it, it was a bit of an interesting week because it played out like we expected. Right? I believe we both went... Well, you took Toronto to beat Hamilton, which, to your credit, was close. Yeah. But we both had Saskatchewan beating Edmonton. We both had Calgary beating BC. Mm -hmm. We both had Montreal beating Ottawa. But Mm -hmm. I don't think the we quite had Calgary and Saskatchewan winning those important games the way they did. Because you look at Saskatchewan, first of all, and we'll talk about this more in hour number two, and I'm sure we'll get Travis's take on this as well. The injury to Cody Fajardo seemingly out of nowhere mm-hmm. that Isaac Harker has to come in and start this this game, this all-important game to lock up first place. And I'm thinking at that point, you know, maybe this game's a bit in doubt for the uh, for the Riders. We haven't seen anything from Isaac Harker. He came out, and I thought he played pretty dang good. Well. Here's the thing, right? The numbers are one thing. The fact of the matter is, um, you know, Harker got those 10 points pretty quickly, and it was 10 nothing. And I was like, oh, this is all Odin Tildor's lot. And then uh, all of a sudden I flip back, and then sort of in the middle of a, a few things that you can imagine that the broadcasts are running around. But I did have a game on at home in the background, and all of a sudden I looked at 13-12 Edmonton, and I'm like, this is interesting, and then all of a sudden, find out as I get in the car that I had a road hockey team, but was not anywhere near here, which is a discussion for another day. But that's 
then I had found out what the writers had won and no better interesting way in my mind to win it than basically a signature Saskatchewan play from last year. Pitt sits the ice and off. So, you know, it's Saskatchewan finding yet another way to win. But I, I just don't know. And I guess I'll flip this question back to you because, you know, we both don't seem overly enthusiastic about the way Saskatchewan won their game. Take the way Isaac Harker. I, I'm certainly not enthusiastic about the way Calgary won their game. Uh, so I don't know. Do we just chalk this up as two teams trying to get out of the wheat healthy without any further damage? Or is there a window here for the Bombers? There might be a window. I do think that the Bombers, and we're going to get into this again in hour number two, going on the road for two straight games to get to the Great Cup is going to be tough. Like, I I was devastated when Calgary won this game over BC. BC was 35 yards away from pulling off the upset, and then Bridge throws that interception. And Mike's trying to give me the positivity, and I went to bed. I had none of it. I told him no, and I went to bed. Honestly, I I thought I was going to have to go and grieve counseling. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, he was pretty... To me, the frustrating part as a Bombers fan in this all was that, like, going into the week, we thought there was no chance BC was going to win this game, right? Yeah. But then BC starts to crawl back into it a little bit. All of a sudden, they get the stop. They get the ball back. All of a sudden, you're thinking, holy cow, there's a chance here they could pull this off, and they're driving down the field, and you're waiting for the miracle to happen. And then uh, talk about clutch pickups. Dexter McCoyle comes up with the game-clinching interception for Calgary. Like, that is a huge late-season pickoff that may very well lead Calgary to a Grey Cup this year. But here's the thing, right? I look at Calgary and I say, oh, yeah, they posted that West Final three years in a row. Uh, this is a little unconventional, right? They did the home game, and then they have to go on the road, and then potentially they did another home game. I'm not too sure... Ryan, and I, I know how you feel about, uh, you know, the Bombers having to win two road games. I, I just, personally, I feel that, yeah, it'd be nice to have, uh, it'd be nice to have the game at home and games at home in the playoffs. But other than home field, is there a lot separating between these three? Home field is huge, though, Mike. The Bombers went eight and but one I, at but, home but this I'm year. Saying Look t- at Calgary's record. I'm saying at home. take out home field. Saskatchewan's record at home. Home field is huge. Is it that big when these two teams are that close? I think it comes down to it. If they are that close, and I need a difference maker to choose, I'm going with which team's the home team. Right. Yeah. See, I mean, home. Here's the thing, the last, I think mean, I was reading somewhere, the last four or five, maybe even six years, the division winner has gone to the Grey Cup. Yeah. Because they have to win the one game. I think this year, more than any, that might be in jeopardy out in the West. Maybe. I, I'm not going to. And I'm not trying to toot the bomber horn here or anything. I'm not going to say anything to either way because that ruins the entire end of the show. Yeah, so... But I'm just saying, it's 
Calgary is not the Calgary that we've seen in the last three years of, oh, you know what we happened when in, it's like the movie, right, facing the Giants? That's certainly not Calgary this year. That is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Well, that that that's kind of what I'm thinking here, right? It's we're at any given Sunday, you know. There's a whole. There are a lot of great football movies out there. For, for some reason, football. I mean, to get into sports movies here, real quick. Miracle on Ice is another one. Another great one. But for some reason, some of the best movies, at least that I've seen, involve major combats or major historic wins or. Dodds playing sports. <laughs> hey, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, right? It's like uh, Airbud, Airbud, Air top Bud. ten football movie of all time. Yes, but in a in a situation where the CFL has been unpredictable, I'm just not on that ba- bandwagon where home field means everything. What do you think, Mike? of a off-season podcast ranking the top 10 or top 5 or whatever football movies out there. Okay. We'll put it on the bu- well, well, we'll put it in the idea bucket. That's reaching for lack of content, I guess. I don't know where you cross that line well, from, but look, halfway through the off-season and around March things dry up a little bit around here. We'll put it in the idea bucket for later. Put it in the idea bucket, and I do have a movie snipper where, because we're on a radio station, we can play certain select scenes of these top ten football movies. Wow, I don't know if they would qualify on the podcast. But have to double check on that. But but, uh, it is possible. All right, we'll put that in the idea bucket. Um, Woodlawn is another dead one. Oh yes, save it, save it for the off season. Okay, we're getting too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> um, big news came out today. Uh, first of all, Ottawa does lose to Montreal this weekend. Uh, three and fifteen season, I believe, for the Red Blacks after starting yep. two and zero. Oh. Uh, Rick Campbell parting ways with the Red Blacks. Uh, you sent me more insight on this, seemingly that. Uh, it was Campbell's choice to walk away because yep. he didn't like his current working relationship with general manager Marcel Desjardins. Uh, didn't feel like there was the proper communication going on there. And uh, Campbell decided to remove himself from the situation. Uh, what do you make of all of this? Because th- the details that came out with this have me deeply concerned of the direction this Red Blacks team is heading. I honestly think this goes back to last year. I think there were some broken promises last year. Because remember, weren't we sitting here about a year ago, give or take a week, where we said, oh yeah, this Trevor Harris deal is basically all but done. It's signed and agreed to. All that I do is put pen to paper and let the ink dry. What happened to that? Yeah. There's no accident. You lose a number one receiver, number one quarterback, not, uh, one of your top two offensive linemen, I would put Sir Vincent Rogers on that list for sure. Absolutely. There seems to be, and now Colt, here's the interesting thing. I, I would encourage everybody, to, and I don't promote others' work, but I do in this case just because I think it's so did TSN, uh, 1200 had a sit down clip with, uh, Marcel Desjardins where he says, 
I was prepared, and I'm paraphrasing, to work with uh, Rick Campbell and to Ottawa's management's credit, they were prepared to bring both guys back. But going with the Rick Campbell scenario, I, I, I think quite honestly, to be completely blunt, I think there was no trust between coach and general manager because I think general manager promised coach some things and they never came to fruition and I don't believe Rick Campbell to be a sore loser um, or have any sour grapes based on the emotion that I saw in the video that I saw with Rick Campbell and the quotes that I saw and just how he took a lot of time to reflect between questions. So it makes me wonder, you got a guy that can't work with one another, you bring one guy back. The wrong guy, in my opinion, out of the two. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure how your organization gets better with this coaching change. Because everybody's connecting the dots, and rightfully so. Granted, Jason Moss has not been fired yet in Edmonton, and nobody knows, but he will. But everybody seems to be making this Ottawa-Edmonton switch. Yeah, if if Moz gets let go in the offseason, book it. Rick Campbell to Edmonton, but, but Moz he, to Ottawa. But, but here's my concern with that. Which coach are you going to hire that is better than what you had? And I'll wait here till somebody gives me an answer because I don't think there's going to be one, so I'll be waiting an awful long time. You go to the Great Cup three times in four years, granted you're in the weakest division in the CFL. Which I have a bone to pick with that statement. And also two players with... I heard and I read, to the paraphrase, Red Campbell is one of those coaches that players would go through a wall for. Which makes this even more concerning. Yeah, Rick Campbell is going to get a job pretty quick if anybody else lets their coaches go here. And I, I, I agree with you. Rick Campbell is a great coach. He had his moments this year. I talk about that. Talk about that safety to put you down four, which ended up costing them that one game this year. But yeah, a lot of it I think is the tools he was given to work with was a struggle situation for him this season. I, I Like I said... When you I, give I somebody think, old and rusty tools to do a job, you expect the job to be done properly. Yeah, I, and I think Rick Campbell will catch on somewhere if somebody else lets him go. A and, bone I have to pick here with what you said about, sure, they've been in the Grey Cup three times in four years, but they have the weakest division, you know, the really weak East division. The, I, Bur- I, the Burris Towings in one year, if that play doesn't happen, they're not in the Grey Cup. I, I mentioned this to you this week, too. People always talk about, like, take this year's Ticats, for example. 15-3 and Ticats. Oh, but look, they play in the same division as Toronto mm-hmm. and Ottawa. The way the schedule works out, they played three games against Toronto. They played two games against Ottawa, which is, the, if I'm correct, maybe it was 3-3. Three and three. I could be wrong. But at a maximum, that's two more games than any other team in the league has played against those two teams. What's your excuse for the other 13 wins the Ticats had this season, right? People always talk about the East Division is so weak, and, you know, I kind of get the argument from the standpoint of, sure, you know, there's been years where a 9-8-1 record 
won you the division. Well, the fact of the matter is BC was better than both Toronto and uh, Ottawa. Still, yeah. But that doesn't mean all of your win. Like, if you win 15 games in a season, you know, it's not because you're in a weak division. If you win the division at 9-8-1, and one, sure, then I'll give you that. You can say you won the division because it that was happened. a weaker division. And that did happen. But I have a bone to pick with the way people say someone's record is based off of their division. Because it's not. Where you finish relatively in the standings is, but your record has nothing to do with the division you play in. Here's a question for you. Does Rick Campbell get introduced as a coach somewhere next week? Depends if somebody else gets let go next week. Do you make this move with nothing in your back pocket? I'm not saying... Does Rick Campbell know something that the rest of us don't? I don't know. He might. Or maybe maybe he's just confident enough that he knows he's a good coach and somebody's going to want to come grab him. And maybe he sees the situations around the league and thinks there are going to be opportunities for me for next season. So here's a question for you. Say the Bombers lose this week. Do you hire Rick Campbell next week? No. Assuming that there's no guarantee Michael Shea comes back? I don't think that would happen that quickly, I'll say. I, I think the Bombers would maybe deliberate it because I think you have to with any opportunity. I just don't know if you're going to see that split of a decision. Of a well, by all change. accounts, we're expecting a firing of Devon Claybrooks in a which cu- is wrong. couple days Which from is now. absolutely the wrong decision. We don't know what's happening with Kari Jones, so... Could be a lot of movement this We assume Craig Dickinson to be safe, but the sooner you move on a coach, the better, in my opinion. Uh, let's wrap up the regular season of CFL Pick'em and CFL Fantasy. Uh, week 21 in CFL Pick'em, I believe Dude, you... We can almost go home now. No, uh, no, we got another hour and a half to go, man. I'm kidding. Uh, three in one week for you, I believe. Yep. You took Toronto. Uh, I did Toronto over Hamilton. Yeah. I went 4-0, and actually, for the third week in a row. 12-0 and streak. 12-0, and Danny. Ardos didn't ruin your street for one. You should be proud. But, uh, of course, as I mentioned last week on the podcast, the week before I forgot to make a couple of my picks in CFL pick them. So it didn't ruin my streak, but I didn't maximize as many points as I could have. Right. Uh, lost the family pool because of that. Uh-oh. By 100 points. But uh, final record on the season, I'll admit, I don't know what yours is because you don't play official CFL pick them. No, so I don't. I, don't tra- uh, I was tracking at some point, but I lost track. But. Uh, 57 and 21 record, 73% for myself. Yeah, I can't imagine I did any better than that. No, you were, you were close though. I, I feel like we had a lot of similar picks. Uh, CFPN Fantasy Challenge, we are now in playoff mode. Uh, regular season has ended. Uh, no more mistakes, Ryan. So, top eight teams made the playoffs. Unfortunately, uh, Superfan Mike from the Eskimo Empire podcast and, uh, Ryan Ballantyne from the uh, Horseman Radio podcast have been eliminated. Top eight move on to the playoffs. Congrats again to our guest here in uh, just over half an hour, Travis Curra from Two and Out CFL, for uh, winning first place in the regular season standings. And now the playoffs are here. I did lose my Week 21 matchup to uh, Sheldon from Horseman Radio, and that is actually who I'm playing again this week in the first round of the playoffs. So. Playoff matchups are as follows for round one. We have first place Travis from 2 and Out against uh, eighth place uh, Safamod from the Piffles podcast. I am in second place up against Sheldon from Horseman Radio in seventh. 
Uh, we have Andrew from the Eskimo Empire podcast facing off against Rod from the Wood Cookie Sawcast. And then in uh, fourth, first, fifth place, we have Brazilian Ty up against uh, Brian from the Lions Den. Just a technical question. Do these seedings reset themselves? After round one, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So basically, second place or first place would get the lowest remaining and then the, yes. the two middle. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a great season all along. Uh, follow along with the playoffs as well at CF Pod Network on Twitter. I tweet out the results, the matchups every week from there. So this might be my weekend entertainment. I have a weekend off for lunch. So make sure you follow all. That of isn't that. on a holiday. True. True. Uh, our fantasy league, Mike. Oh man, I've been waiting, waiting for this all day. I have totaled the results. It was a season-long format. I got ahead early this season. Can I, I guess? I hang on, I'm not done here okay. yet. I stayed ahead the entire way. You never passed me at any point during the season. Uh oh. You did make the incredible comeback coming into week twenty one, down hundred and fifty, you put up a hundred more points, you down by fifty going into week twenty one. What do you think happened? Tie? It was not a tie. I will. I have no idea because this week was such a mad scramble. I will say this: you were down by fifty heading into week number twenty-one. So I had to make up fifty-one. I can confirm you had a higher score in week twenty-one than I did. But it wasn't enough. Was it enough? I don't Drum think, roll. I don't think it was. It was not, Mike. I know that. Seventy-three point forty-four for me. 77.52 for you, so... Only made up four. Only made up four. I do win final totals on the season. You had 3164.68. I had 3211.22, so, so just... that was the difference of 40... 46, something like that. 46, 47-ish. Considering I was down, what was it, a 250 at one point? Something absurd it's, like that, It's yeah. absurd. Yeah, so... And, I mean, the Pajardo injury didn't help me. Yeah. Uh, who knows what would well, have and, and it was an interesting week, too, right? Because going into this week, I was shaking in my boots. Because... Why? All of my guys on bye week, um, or all of my guys not playing, I did not have very much from Calgary. I did not have very much from Saskatchewan, which is the two teams... Well, I didn't have Rodgers. ...was, I didn't was have. made up of, but... Oddly enough, the offenses, and you did have some injuries there, but Calgary's offense didn't get on a big roll. Saskatchewan's offense didn't get on a huge roll. Cody yeah. Fajardo didn't play. Mike, I'm sorry to say. No, I, I, I knew the writing was on the wall. Pipty is just too much when... When the week means nothing for well, teams? Right, so you might have to let... Nuts you at a 20-week season. Just pretend the, the week is... That odd wheat is such a throwaway. It's, and I mean, the way the rules are set up, but I'm not, you know, complaining to the rules of the rules and we agreed to them all year, but it's not like you can make six or eight changes to mitigate everybody on pie. Right. It's set at two, and so you have to kind of choose wisely. So, it was a great experience, great plan to graduation. Thank you, thank you. I, yeah, honestly, I knew the writing was on the wall about middle of July, and then it was just try to complete the improbable combat, right? And to your credit, you, you came close, man. You came close. It was a great season. 
inaugural season of the Canadian Football Countdown Fantasy. And I've already discussed a few changes with you for next year. Maybe we'll get the special teams involved? Yes, well, uh, we'll definitely bring this back again next year because it's a lot of fun along the way. And uh, we'll see if you can steal the title next season. Let's get into talking about the CFL Award nominees. They came out this week as well. Actually, right after we recorded our last podcast, they came out. Uh, so the teams have announced their award winners. Uh, CFL Awards won't be announced until Grey Cup week, I believe. But uh, we're going to go through each of the awards and uh, give our East and West nominees and who we think will win them for all of the league's major awards. And, Mike, you are allowed to, uh, you know, we do have the options each team has presented us, but you do also have the option of going off the board if you so choose uh, for any of these award categories. So let's start with the, the big one. The most outstanding player in the CFL, who do you have as your East and your West nominees? Trying to find my list here. Um, oh, here it is. I have, and I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this disclaimer right now, uh, because I think it needs to be said. And I, I'm assuming you went in this direction too. So, uh, I just want to make mention that Andrew Harris would have been my Western nominee for MOP as well as my top Canadian winner, but I did not select him because of his two-game suspension due to performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah, and this has been a big debate around from fans around the league this week. I love Andrew Harris as much as the next guy. I'm a huge Andrew Harris fan. I it will... killed me not to take Andrew Harris. Absolutely, me as well, because... Yeah, he had an incredible season, but I think the voters in the Winnipeg region did make the right choice here because as much as a tragedy it is in one sense to leave a talented guy like this and everything he accomplished this season off the ballot, I think it makes a statement that, hey, we don't support, you know, whether, like... I know I think you and I fall in the same range where we want to believe everything Andrew Harris has said. It has not been officially proven out there. You know, there is still that lingering effect of did he or didn't he. I applaud the potential of this affecting his numbers this season. People taking that into account and saying, no, we're not going to qualify him. I, I, I think their embalming of TSN 1290 sums us up beautifully. And I'm paraphrasing, and I apologize if it's not the exact quote. He says something along the lines of, I was not comfortable with the precedent this would have set. And I think that same sentiment, I can agree with that sentiment from my perspective. That if I would have had a vote, as much as I... Andrew Harris, if my... If I'm fortunate enough to have kids, in my lifetime anyway, will be the Dieter Brock of our parents' generation. The one that we seemingly tell our kids about that changed the game. Milt Steedle, Andrew Harris, 
Dodd Brown, those will all be dies. But if you and I are ever fortunate to have children of our own, we'll be the first dies that will come out of our mouth as far as dies that we watched as a kid. Absolutely. That is the magnitude of what we have basically denied for very accurate reasons, for very uh, good reasons. That is that is how much, if anybody is outside of Winnipeg and listening to this show, that is how much Andrew Harris means to this city, to this franchise, and I'll even say to this lead, contrary to what a certain member of the Hamilton Tiger Cats had to say. And I think it uh, it speaks to, you know, the, all the controversy surrounding this speaks to how crucial, I don't know if crucial is the right word, but how magnified Andrew Harris is in the CFL based on his talent and based on his passion for the game. I don't mean to disrespect this, but if this, if this is some guy that had spent seven of the first ten weeks of the season on the practice roster and he made this mistake, I don't believe in all sincerity that it's as big a deal as one of the CFL's marquee players that that I had the privilege of standing beside two years ago now. One of the most down-to-earth gentlemen you will ever meet in Andrew Harris, who literally was finished his media availability. I had missed him. The CFL PR guy had to chase after him. So that I did interview Andrew Harris, and he came back with the biggest smile on his face. And, and happily did the interview, and it wound up being a 20 to 25-minute conversation, most of which aired on these previous podcasts, some of which didn't. Some of it was an off-the-mic conversation. And to see why the Bombers players universally respect him in that locker room for what he did for this team. I picked up in a 25-minute conversation with him at CFL at Week when it was here in Winnipeg. And I just got a small sample of that. So imagine how hard it is for these guys to have one of their teammates' reputation be shattered by what he says. Keep in mind, not the T-word. What he says is a mistake a tainted supplement i don't know it's 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 a hard thing for me to even talk about i will say this though mike miller very well deserving candidate for most outstanding canadian uh for the bombers gets that and he certainly didn't have to issue a statement after he just said oh yeah my teammate made a mistake I'll take the award. No statement necessary. He went out of his way to make the statement to make sure that everybody knew that he had this on behalf of Andrew Harris. And that if he wasn't the nominee, that it would have been Andrew Harris, and he would have been A-OK with that. Absolutely. Showed you how good of a person Mike Miller is. Absolutely. Okay. Andrew Harris has been ruled out for these awards based on the discussion we had. Your most outstanding player nominees I'm also a player nominee. We do not have a drum roll. Maybe you can edit one in. No, nah, that that's would be too a, much work. That would be a lot of work. So, <laughs> just imagine there's a drum roll. Bear with us. My West nominee for MOP. Yep. From the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, 
Cody Pajardo. My Easter nominee for my Hamilton Tiger Cats, Brandon Banks. This is going to be a bit anticlimactic, but I, 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 I agree with you on both of these decisions. Those were my picks as well. My winner, if you want my winner. Sure, go for it. Brandon Banks to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think Brandon Banks does deserve to win MOP. Uh, let's talk about Cody Fajardo first for a second. I mean, there's no doubt this guy deserves to be the Western nominee because the things he has done since he took over this team. Just compare the uh, Saskatchewan offense from this year to last year. Last year it was dead in the water. You had to rely on the defense to win you almost mean- every game for you last year in Saskatchewan. This year he steps in after being brought in as a backup. Has an outstanding season, lots of late game comebacks. I believe he led the league in passing yards this season. Granted, you know, to be fair, most quarterbacks uh, missed some time this season. I guess he did too because he missed that last game and part of the first. The game, interesting but. thing for me about this Fajardo thing was, remember the preseason? We said Saskatchewan had the great season if. They keep Zach Talaros healthy. Well, he lasted three offensive plays into Saskatchewan season. I remember Fajardo's relief appearance didn't exactly start well either. Remember, Craig Dickinson said going into the Week 2 game, we're going to rotate Isaac Harker and Cody Fajardo and whoever's going to join. Cody Pajardo made sure that that was not going to happen, and it was his job to lose. And remember the writers coming in, they said, we weren't, we're not going to be known as a hockey and chocolate team. Basically threw the preseason projections out the window, and they have their first division title in a long time. Absolutely. And Brandon Banks, to me, I agree with you, clear winner here. I mean, what can't the guy do? We've seen him catch the ball. He has like something ridiculous, like 13 touchdowns on the season. Uh, I believe he added another one on the ground. He had a couple return touchdowns. And this was the guy that, before June Jones came around, was predominantly a returner. Yeah. Remember, there was talk. What's wrong with Brandon Banks? Should they release Brandon Banks? Yeah, and then June Jones came in. And I remember having this conversation on our show about, you know, the future of Brandon Baines. And the interesting thing is here, um, I also did give consideration to Reggie Badleton and Cody Pichardo that put those guys on an even keel. And then it just came down to who, who did I least expect to do what they did. And that kind of sealed the deal for me. 112 catches. 1,550 yards through the air, 13 touchdowns, added a touchdown, 56 yards on the ground in 16 games only this season. Heck of a season for Brandon Banks. He is our most outstanding player winner. Moving to the defensive side of the ball for most outstanding defensive player. Uh, I see your nominees here on the list. They are the same as mine. Uh, again, uh, we will differ at some point here. I trust me, but, uh, Western nominee, Willie Jefferson of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Eastern nominee, Simone Lawrence. Those are your picks as well, correct? Correct. Uh, to me, that's just watching every Bomber game. It's like, how, like Willie Jefferson, I think, set a CFL record for knockdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, half the passes that get past 
half the time the ball is smacked down by him at the defensive line. He's put pressure on the quarterbacks all season even, long. Even you watch what he does when he's being double and triple teamed, and he just about gets there. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so many big plays throughout the season, too, for Willie Jefferson. Like, and he gave that bomber defense a different look. Um, especially when they moved Alexander to safety. Certainly, I think, made Adam Baytail a better player. And Yeah, Big Hill had a quiet season, which is almost a good thing. And, yeah, it's just the commanding presence of Willie Jefferson, to me, really gave the Bombers a different look. And as far as Eastern nominees goes, I mean, Simone Lawrence was dominant all season long. I, I can pull up his stats here. Did have a two-game suspension, but that was for the hit on Talaro. That's completely different uh, in my mind than what Andrew Harris did. Fifteen games played, 98 tackles, four sacks, three interceptions, one fumble recovery, including the one game. What did he have against the Bombers in that one game? 17 tackles? Yeah, something like that. Set, tying a CFL record there. So Simone Lawrence is the Eastern nominee. Uh, who is your winner for most outstanding defensive player? Most outstanding defensive player. I I think we talked a bit of a homer here. I did give it to Jefferson just on a path, but I expected Hamilton to be good. I did not expect what if a defense to make a little bit of an improvement as a result of uh, somebody single-handedly being a big reason in however small the defensive improvement was in Winnipeg. I agree with you. Here's his stats. Uh, 12 sacks, one pick, six forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and they don't have it here listed on the CFL website, but I'm guessing about 85 knockdowns or something ridiculous like that. So and, and this was a close one for me yeah, because yeah. I think Simone was really deserving of this award. <laughs> to me, it just became down to how many late game plays did Willie Jefferson make? You know, the Bombers needed to stop on deep into cement to win. Oh, bat to bat knockdowns by Willie, and that that was it. Uh, who do you have for your most outstanding Canadian? This one I went back and forth with. Uh, to me, the only obvious answer was uh, Corey Green, one of the Calgary Stampeders. He led them in, in uh, he led them in tackles, led the CFL in tackles before going down with injury. Uh, is by the way expected to play this weekend against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And my, you want my Eastern one? Yeah. Uh, from a Bit of a surprising twist, uh, Henrik Moamba of the uh, Montreal Alouettes, just a steady force on that defense, uh, especially since the defense but didn't have a lot of um, star power coming into the year. I know uh, they lost Taylor Loeffler, who they signed from the Bombers uh, via free agency. He didn't play for a large part, and... There was a lot of trust upon the shoulders of him, especially prior to the emergence of Bait Play VA, Vernon Adams. Um, and just overall, as you look at the season as a whole, one of the defensive reasons that the Alouettes were so dead was Moamba. Yeah, I surprise, surprise, Canadian award. I'm going to agree with you on both of these, but I have two other options uh, okay. uh, that I think were really close here. Western nominee, 
I think Cameron Judge needs to be there in consideration. Yeah. Uh, especially this week, he made a huge couple of huge plays. But uh, in 17 games, he had 72 tackles, five sacks, two interceptions, uh, including a touchdown, a forced yeah, fumble. But Corey Greenwood, I mean, there's no denying he also had a strong season with 79 tackles, two sacks, a pick, three forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. So I have Greenwood just eking out Cameron Judge. Uh, and yeah, I give some strong, serious consideration to Cameron Judge. And out east, I agree with Muamba. I mean, 93 tackles, a sack, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery. Those are outstanding statistics. Yeah. I, I almost went Brandon Revenberg from the Hamilton Tiger Cats offensive line because the Tiger Cats are 15 and three, and Dane Evans was as good as he was. Partially due to Dane Evans's talent himself, partially due to the guys he has in Brandon Banks and Braylon Addison. But I think that offensive line in Hamilton deserves a ton of credit this season. And Brandon Revenberg was their nominee for most outstanding Canadian. I was tempted to give it to him. But I'm going to agree with you and go with uh, Corey Greenwood and Hinoch Muamba. Uh, I have Hinoch Muamba as my winner, though. Uh, I, I think Muamba had a bit of a better season out there. Uh, it was close, but uh, I'm going to give it in favor of Hinoch Muamba. Who, are, who do you have winning? Most outstanding Canadian. I believe, Hannah, I believe I gave this to uh, Greenwood. And just for the reason of um, better team to better, well, that came out wrong. Better supporting cast, um, Moamba, Montreal, seriously, this is making me think about changing it, but. I'm not going to change it. I'm going to stay with what I said. Um, you did made a very valid argument for both. And just timely tackles by this guy uh, coming back after having played on multiple teams in the past and really cementing. I think he really didn't get a full-time job, Corey Greenwood, on the starting D until about a quarter of the way in. And then... It was just you couldn't take them out, and then injury forced them out, but he should be back this weekend. Uh, most outstanding offensive linemen, the big guys on the front line, they uh, they often get overlooked when we talk, when we start praising players, but uh, some of them definitely deserve the praise for the season they've had. Uh, my nominees for most outstanding offensive linemen, there's a couple of places you can go. I, To me, I look at the teams that allow the least number of sacks and have had the most success offensively is a huge thing. There's two guys I'm going to here. I'm going to Hamilton. I'm, I'm going to go with the guy they nominated in uh, Chris Van Zyl. <laughs> the Argos were dumb for letting him go. Yeah, but this off season, Jim, we'll never know the circumstances. Behind. We'll never know the circumstances. Walked right into Hamilton's hands, and he, he is my nominee. I mean... I talked already about how productive that Hamilton offense has been and how much that's related to the offensive line. I wanted to maybe go with one of the guys from the Eskimos because they allowed so few sacks early in the season, but I looked at the play down the stretch here in Calgary. I look at specifically those games against the Bombers where we want to give most outstanding defense player to Willie Jefferson. That offensive line neutralized him. Like The Bombers in those back-to-back -back games got one sack, I think that was it on Bowie by Mitchell. So mm -hmm. I'll go with the Stampeders nominee of Shane Bergman uh, as my Western nominee. Yeah, he was my second nominee. Uh, I did my nominees already? Nope. Okay. Yeah, no, so 
Jibble winner? Uh, Chris Van Zyl. Oh, Hamilton, okay. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, I much the same. I went Van Zyl out east for much of the reasons you said. And then I just had to give it to Stanley Bryant and the Blue Bombers. Call me a homer. Um, but I just think the overall body of work for Stanley Bryant and a bomber offensive line. But well, I underwent some changes this year, uh, for sure with, uh, Matthias Golson not coming back and Seth Sun not, you know, returning and, you know, just a couple of those changes, but even the one constant. And my winner is Chris Van Zyl. Much to the chagrin of Ardell fans and hindsight being 2020, but, uh, he was by far, in my mind, the best offensive lineman in the league. Uh, special teams player of the year. Uh, where are you going for this one, East and West? Yeah, for special teams, I donate Hawley of Calgary. I think he led them in special teams tackles. I uh, managed to see the field defensively, and uh, yeah, just a real emergence uh, for a first-year player, hint for another award coming. And uh, I also gave my Easter nominee to a guy that uh, really emerged in the returning game after they took Brandon Banks off the teams. Uh, Frankie Williams, couple big returns. Uh, could have also made a case, but... For that Montreal returner there, his name escapes me. How to return it at the bombers, but his sample size was just too small. So if I looked at consistency for most part of the year, for me it comes down to Nate Hawley of Calgary just being steady on that special teams and on uh should always count on a big return or a big block or whatever you needed from Frankie Williams and he just seemed to have another deer. Who's your winner? And my winner is, I don't have a proverbial drum roll, but this one is interesting. I did, or not interesting really, but to real no, no surprise, I gave it to uh, Fanti Williams. Uh, just a little bit more dynamic. Granted the options uh, for the award were very limited, I found, and you know, most teams elected to go with kickers, and it was within their right because uh, some of the teams had better kickers. But uh, overall sample size for me, Fanti was with the best special teams player in the league that had a lot of the, the better sample size. Uh, for me as well, I'm going to go with Frankie Williams as my Eastern nominee and my winner for all the things you've mentioned already. My Western nominee, I love everything Nate Hawley's done, but when I look at dominant special teams tacklers, I got to give it to Mike Miller of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I don't know. It's just the way Miller gets downfield, I, I try. I wish I could find his stats here on the CFL website, but uh, I'm trying to find them here. But he, uh, he had seven special teams tackles in one game. Uh, he had 25 on the season. Uh, was just a bit more than uh, Nate Hawley. I thought the Bombers' coverage unit did a great job all season long. I know Calgary's unit let up, let some return touchdowns a couple times this year. Uh, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Mike Miller here uh, as my Western nominee. Uh, moving on, Mike, to the uh, Rookie of the Year. This is our second last one, and then we'll do Coach of the Year here. Uh, 
who do you have for rookie of the year nominees? Uh, for for me, for me, East, for reasons that we've already discussed, and I don't want to repeat myself. Atlin from uh, Hamilton, and out west, uh, I did give it to Nate Hawley just because of the special teams and being able to fit it on defense. And I didn't wasn't really enthused with a lot of the options that I was given out of the West, but as far as sample size and efficiency rate. If you are a rookie and can lead the CFL in tackles in your first season, you deserve to be nominated right. for most outstanding right. rookie. And that's what Nate Hoey did. He had 100 tackles on the season. So, yeah, he's my Western nominee as well. I like Jalen Acklin, but I'm actually going to the Montreal Alouettes for my Eastern nominee for rookie of the year. Jake Weineke led the Alouettes in touchdown receptions in his rookie season. He was a huge piece of that offense, especially some clutch wins, including that one over the Bombers. Yeah, for for me, it was a, not the issue. Like, I don't have an issue with Weinerty. I mean, he deserved to be there. And for me, it was just put the two on even ground. So to me, Nate Hawley, Nate Hawley though, wins this award. To yeah, all right, tackles. It's, it's a runaway. As far as I'm concerned there, it's just how do you differentiate the two? And then the last one we'll do here before we take a quick break, get set up for hour number two. We've been debating this one for weeks, Mike. Coach of the year. We've talked about your nominees for weeks, but I look at the sheet in front of me, and they've changed. They have. So what are they? Uh, Orlando Steinhauer, Robbie Hamilton, Tiger Cats. You've finally seen the light. Well, I just saw a shorthanded Hamilton team find a way to, not shorthanded, but they rested a lot of guys, go in there and try to find their franchise record 15th straight when that deserves recognition. Uh, whether you refuse to believe it with a backup quarterback, uh, that deserves some talk too. And, uh, no, I would have to go with Trey Dickinson just because nobody expected, uh, Saskatchewan to be as good as they were. And maybe the best thing to ever happen is Saskatchewan is Chris Jones agreeing to leave because, to be honest with you, I don't believe the Riders have a better record with Chris Jones than they do without him right now. I would agree. Uh, because I don't think that Chris Jones brings in Cody Pajardo. No, probably not. We'll never know. We'll uh, never know, but without Pajardo, the writers are screwed basically. And if you assume the same thing happens, who knows if Isaac Harker is there and what the plans are at quarterback in the first game of the year. Strong candidate as well, Kahari Jones. We've talked about it for weeks. I yep. would so badly love to nominate him. And actually, I believe the CFL for Coach of the Year might do three nominees regardless of division. I'm, so hopefully he gets considered for it because he wasn't in the Coach of the Year wasn't in the batch of award nominees listed. So, well, because I guess it was the team awards, and we all know which head coach each team is going to nominate as their Coach of the Year because they only have one. Fairly obvious. Um, I, I did give some consideration to Michael Shea, but no, I, I thought the. The sample size for Dickinson was... Yeah, Craig Dickinson yeah. is an obvious Western choice for me. Uh, However, if O'Shea and the Bombers don't follow those two games, I think we might have a bit of a closer discussion about that. Maybe, yeah. Uh, and then Eastern nominee, I have Steinauer as well. I mean, ties the CFL record for wins in a season by a rookie head coach with 15. I'm giving him my winner of this as much as i love everything craig dickinson has done there is no denying the success orlando steinauer has had 
No, I, I can't argue with that. All right. We'll take a quick break here. Uh, Are we doing our last one then after our guest? Uh, that's all we're actually going to do here for today. Okay. Uh, those are actually the only uh, CFL awards, that- I believe. Uh, so we're going to wrap the, up the awards talk with that. Congrats to all of our nominees. Congrats to all of our winners. Take a quick break here. I'll get Travis Curra from the Two and Out CFL podcast on the line, and uh, we'll chat with him when we get back here on the Canadian Football Countdown. And we're back for hour number two of our playoff preview show here on the Canadian Football Countdown. And we are pleased to be joined by, by a special guest. Uh, he's one of the hosts of the Two and Out CFL podcast. He is the pierogi eating champion and the king of the CFPN Fantasy League regular season, the great uh, Sir Travis of Curra. Welcome to the show. How are you, oh, bud? Now, well, now that I'm a knight. I am so much better. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, playoff mode here in the CFL. Can you believe the regular season is over already? No. <laughs> it seems to just fly by every single year. I, you know, I was looking at the calendar, and, you know, we're just over two weeks away from a Grey Cup week in Calgary, and it it's blowing my mind. Although I look outside here in central Alberta and the snow is flying. So I guess I really shouldn't be <laughs> too surprised that the great cups around the corner. Yeah, it is uh, certainly getting to that time of year here. Uh, at, you know, as they always say, the games become more meaningful. The weather gets colder. Absolutely. I like that crisp in the air. It's still shorts weather. Yeah. Like you said, before we came on the air, I'm rocking the shorts today too. Nice. Always appreciate somebody who uh, who who appreciates that uh, it's always shorts weather. Oh yeah. yeah. Mike O'Shea shares the same sentiment. Yeah, I like it. And Devon Claybrook, there's a you know what? There's a lot of guys in the Canadian Football League that do that. The guys that are uh, uh, running around with the ball that they're uh, switching out during a game. Yeah. I have never seen any of those guys ever wear pants. I think it's an unwritten rule. If you want that job. You're wearing shorts. Yeah, that that's how they test for that job. They throw you in a freezer for four hours and see if you come out alive. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, we mentioned it off the top. You are the king of the CFPN Fantasy Challenge regular season. Uh, what do you think of the season of fantasy football? Well, I I got off to a rough start. I really didn't catch my groove until Labor Day. And after Labor Day, I really did a lot better and kind of knew the guys that were getting the targets and were getting the carries and and things like that. But at the beginning of the year, it was rough. There was a three-week stretch in July that I um, had less than 60 points. (laughs) So I had a rough stretch there. If if I would have just had, you know, 80, an average week there, 
I would have done even so much better than I already did. But after Labor Day, I had the highest score on the TSN website once. I was in the top 10 another time. I was just so much better after Labor Day for some reason. They say the season doesn't start until then, but I would like to do better during the, the warm summer months. Well, yeah, an incredible run to end the season there. You mentioned top score one week, two weeks later, eighth overall, I believe, in the uh, in the world. Uh, an incredible feat. Congrats to you on that one. I know we had a couple hard-fought matchups along the way. You did take me down in the season series to claim that top spot, so congrats to you on that. And uh, like I said on Twitter, I hope either I get to meet you in a later round in the playoffs or uh, Safamod goes and knocks you out in round one. Well, you know what? I was looking at building my roster for this week, and with there only being four teams, and it, it changes a little bit now because you only start the one running back, the one receiver, um, and you only have thirty thousand dollars to spend. But the the margin of error almost seems like greater when you have a smaller roster. If you miss on one of your picks, you miss on the week, and it's could cost me in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy Challenge. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, how, how do you leverage things going into the playoffs? Uh, because I feel like the natural kind of way to think is, well, teams are going to rely on their on their most important pieces in the playoffs, so you really want to get that number one receiver from different teams. But I also feel like there's different years where we see, you know, those unsung heroes show up in the playoffs. I look at, you know, some of the guys when it comes to great cups, like Lamar Durant for Calgary. I think it was Shamad Chambers when Edmonton won the great cup here in Winnipeg. Uh, had a big game there and won most outstanding Canadian. So do you focus on those number one guys or do you look at, okay, maybe this is a guy that's going to, you know, come on in the playoffs? I think for the playoffs with the smaller roster, I am going to try to focus on those number one guys and those stars because it's a little bit easier to afford them this time around. That being said, Montreal and Edmonton is really interesting because those teams have only played each other twice. Uh, Calgary and Edmonton, they've both played each other twice in the last, you know, three or four weeks. They also played each other in the, in the summer. So what I will do I'll kind of look at what happened uh, during those those couple games. Uh, Bagleton had a big game against Winnipeg. Uh, a couple of the receivers did. But Calgary, it's so hard to predict who is going to be the big receiver uh, that they're going to throw to because there's Huff, Mayala, Bagleton. They've all had big games this year, and Rogers is about to come back as well. So I, I'd be lying to you if I told you there wasn't a degree of luck that goes into this as well. But I, especially during the playoffs, the stars, this is when they shine. This is when their legacies are cemented in the playoffs heading into uh, the Grey Cup. I do think this time of year, the running game is going to have to be important. And I think games uh, are going to be won and lost on the ground. It sort of became my strategy later in the season not to spend money at running back because it just seemed like guys weren't getting upwards of 18 to 20 carries. Andrew Harris was getting, you know, 10 or 11 of them. And that's just not 
worth the $10,000 price tag he was getting on CFL Fantasy. So I, I think now that maybe they were trying to limit carries for guys like William Powell and Andrew Harris, and now that they're in the playoffs, it's, well, <laughs> there is no next week if we lose. So I think I'm going to be more willing to spend money on running back now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm in the same boat as you on that. And, you know, for me, it was quarterbacks all season long, too. I always tried to go for the cheap play. Bit me in the butt a couple times. Thanks, Danny O'Brien. Thanks, yeah. uh, thanks Argos QBs. <laughs> thanks, uh, Dominique Davis in Week 21. Um, so, you know, maybe it come oh, playoff. Oh, I went with Kate Moore. <laughs> oh, yeah. 21 and he comes seven. <laughs> yeah, it, folks, if you haven't done so yet, listen to uh, this Monday's episode of the Two and Out CFL podcast. You'll hear uh, Travis lament Hayden more more than you've ever expected to in your life. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm still not over it, but uh, I guess I got to try and focus on the playoffs. <laughs> Speaking of playoffs, let's talk about some of these matchups here quickly because you guys do cover the entire CFL on your podcast. Uh, in round one, you got Calgary hosting Winnipeg. You got Montreal hosting Edmonton. Uh, let's start with the Western one, because uh, I think that's the one people are more intrigued by. Uh, how do you see this shaping up between these teams? Because this is now the third time in four weeks they're facing each other. I mean, from the Bombers' perspective, it's essentially their last month of game film has only been Calgary. How do you see it playing yeah. out? It's a fascinating game because... I think in week 21, everyone kind of thought that Calgary was going to go to BC, walk all over the Lions, and earn that home playoff game at McMahon Stadium. And that's not the way it went. And I know that the Stamps were really banged up. And some of those injuries are probably going to carry over into this week uh, against Winnipeg. Uh, with guys like Eric Rogers, I, I'm assuming he will be back, but Trey Roberson, Deshaun Amos, these guys in the secondary for Calgary were really, really banged up. And I think that the confidence in Winnipeg is probably, it's at least among the fans, I think the coaches always believe they can go and win. Let's face it, they had a couple weeks to prepare because they had a bye going into here and that Caleros only had the one start. So the bye week is going to help him get used to uh, Paul Lapolis's playbook even more. And I'm sure Lapo's coming up with some magic to go to McMahon Stadium and uh, win this Western semifinal. But I think this is probably going to be a low-scoring, hard-fought, physical game and I think that actually feeds into Winnipeg's skill set a little bit with that big rough and tough running game whether they want to give it to Nick Dembski or Andrew Harris or even put in Chris Strebler and just run it at the Stampeders that being said the Stamps were really able to limit BC's running game last week I think John White had he needed 40 yards to get to a thousand on the season and it took him 17 carries yeah. to do it. That, I, I know that the Bombers aren't the Lions, but I, I think the people in Winnipeg have a lot more confidence now after watching Calgary struggle with, uh, with BC a little bit last week and the receivers, if Eric Rogers can't go, 
it seems to be Reggie Bagleton and everyone else, at least as far as um, experience goes. There are guys that can make plays, but there's not much experience in that receiving core, and they really haven't played in too much cold weather. I, it's a fascinating game, and I, I think it's going to be a close one, probably within three or four points. But I, I, I'm still sort of leaning towards Calgary because they want to play at McMahon Stadium on November 24th for the Grey Cup, and they can't really look ahead to that. They can't overlook Winnipeg at all. But this is going to be a close game. It's not going to be high scoring, but I think it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, you mentioned maybe a little more confidence here in Winnipeg. That never works out when it comes to the Bombers, but uh, 29 (laughs) 29 years of a little too much confidence over here and counting, but maybe that ends this year. I agree with you. I think it's going to be a close game. Um, going out east, I think this is one that more so people are expecting to be a bit more of a differential between the Alouettes and the Eskimos. Uh, do you see it that way too, or do you think this is going to be closer than people are imagining? You know what? All of a sudden, and maybe I'm looking into Week 21 a little too much. I'm kind of wondering if Edmonton's going to go to Montreal and surprise them, because Edmonton has known for basically a month that they're going to be going to Montreal for the East semifinal. And Montreal is a tough place to play. And over the past half of the season, they've been able to get an atmosphere at Percival Molson again with, you know, the organic things happening, like the fans just shining their cell phone lights all over the stadium. Um, But at the end of the day, it all relies on how Trevor Harris is going to do. And I'm not convinced that he's 100% healthy. I I know they gave him the week off against Saskatchewan. He did play in the second last game of the season against Saskatchewan. And it did start off with a massive play to Ricky Collins Jr. And it looked like he was right back to where he left off. But he hasn't thrown the ball too much over the last month and a half. And if that arm is not healthy against the Alouettes and they're able to get after him, it could get ugly really fast for for uh, Trevor Harris and the Eskimos. But I think that the Eskimo defense has a shot to keep them in it. And they played their backups last week, and Saskatchewan couldn't get the ground game going at all. So the front seven in Edmonton, is really strong. If they're able to get after Vernon Adams Jr., they'll be able to support the secondary. I think it's probably going to be a lot closer than, you know, initially I thought that Montreal would be able to walk all over them and beat them by two touchdowns. I'm not so convinced that's going to happen anymore. I just think this is the game that they're going to play for the right to go lose in Hamilton at the end of the day. Yeah. Kind of pick your poison. Do you want to go play another week or not? Because that's as far as you're going. (laughs) I think the Ticats, you got to play the game. But, man, they look like a team of destiny right now to me. Yeah, and, and, you know, you talked about Trevor Harris. I think, you know, last time we uh, underestimated Trevor Harris in a playoff game, he threw for 500 yards and six touchdowns. So. You know, any, hey, anything can happen. Uh, I, I like your optimism that this is going to be a closer game because, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people, as it seems to be quite often when the Western teams go 
out to the east. It uh, turns out to be a bit of a blowout. I'm just hoping we get a close game as well. And hey, maybe the Eskimos surprise everyone. Maybe you're right. Maybe we shouldn't be writing them off quite yet. Uh, want to ask you quickly about the Riders here because we know you are a Riders fan. Uh, they do walk up first place in the West Division. Uh, Cody Fajardo did not play in Week 21 due to an injury. Uh, Isaac Harker didn't actually look too bad, but would we presume Cody Fajardo gets back by the, the time they play in Round 2 of the playoffs? And uh, what do you think are the Riders' chances of going all the way? According to him, he's going to be ready to play. But Craig Dickinson let it slip in the media, and I don't know if it was a slip of the tongue. Uh, I don't know if this is actually what it is saying that Cody Fajardo tore his oblique. And Cody Fajardo, in his uh, interview that he did with TSN, and they played it this week, said that the doctors told him that if he took a hit, it could be his last snap that he's ever played. Oh, wow. <laughs> there was talk that um, he, he said he fought really hard to get into the lineup and he really wanted to play, and then... There's the other side. People are saying, no, he wasn't even close to playing. I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced he's going to be able to go in the West Final. I, I, the bye is going to be really big. At, at least he's going to be able to get some rest. But if the injury is as serious as some has, the way it's been talked about sometimes, I don't see how that's going to heal in two weeks. And if Cody Fajardo plays, I, if he's not 100%, he could take a hit. He could tweak it uh, with a throw. If he doesn't play, I think uh, Winnipeg or Calgary goes to Mosaic Stadium and feasts on the Rough Rider offense. And for the second year in a row, the Riders lose a home playoff game in that beautiful stadium on the prairies, and Rider Nation goes home disappointed. Uh, last year, you know, a similar situation when they, they tried to paint the picture that Zach Caleros was going to be good to go, and then afterwards it came out he was never even close to playing in the West semifinal. It's always it's like that. that. Yeah, so I think that's going to be the exact same situation with Cody Fajardo. We're probably not even going to know the truth until you know sun, next Sunday at 3.30, right at kickoff, if he's actually healthy and good to go. Yeah, they uh, he could come out in half a body cast, and they'd still say he's a game time decision. So, you know, it's it's the playoff gamesmanship. Oh, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, Isaac Hartford, I, I think he's probably got a future in this league. He didn't look bad. You're right. He didn't look bad by any means. But going against a full strength Bombers or Stan Peters team. Because a lot of times the semifinal team goes into the division final with the momentum. And the, the team that had the bye is sort of flat footed. <laughs> they, 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 they need to weather the early storm because the team that won the semifinal comes in with the momentum, even if they are on the road. And the riders just, if Fajardo doesn't play, they're just going to have to rely on that defense. Uh, again, but yeah, a full-strength bomber or Stampeder team is different than uh, the team that Edmonton fielded in Week 21, and that team gave the Rough Riders trouble to lock up first place. 
Well, the playoffs are here. The excitement's in the air, and the Grey Cup week is just a couple of weeks away. Uh, just as we wrap things up here, uh, talk a little bit about what you guys have going on for the Grey Cup with your live show there and everything. All right. So, yeah, we did the live show last year, the pierogi eating contest, and Zach Evans sort of told me on Grey Cup Saturday last year that he wanted a rematch, <laughs> and he wanted it to be brisket. Oh. Um, so... Here's the thing. He could be busy Grey Cup week. <laughs> so if <laughs> the riders are not in the Grey Cup, I fully expect it's going to be some Alberta beef brisket showdown between Zach Evans and myself. We're at Booker's Barbecue in Calgary. And actually the general manager there, her name is Fallon, and she's taking part in the brisket contest as well. She's a little bit of a wild card. I guess she's a certified barbecue judge. She could really probably crush us like a grape and really show us <laughs> how to eat some brisket. Uh, but it's the Thursday of Grey Cup at Booker's Barbecue in Calgary. We're gonna we're gonna live stream it either on Facebook or on uh, you know Periscope on uh, Twitter and it's sort of our kickoff and hopefully. People have fun at our live show and listening to it as a kick up to sort of Great Cup Week and all of the festivities going on in Calgary. Well, good luck with the live show. I know I wish I could be there. I, I'll definitely be tuning in from afar and uh, feeling like I'm missing out on all the festivities there. But it looks like it was a fun time last year, and I'm sure it will be again this year. Uh, just to wrap things up here, uh, let everybody know where they can find uh, your show and where they can uh, find you and uh, everything you have on social media. Tune Out uh, comes out twice a week now. We come out uh, Mondays and Thursdays. I think the show comes out at 8 a.m. Eastern. Um, we've got the website, tuneout.ca, so the links are up there everywhere. And the show you can find you know, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And uh, follow on Twitter. At Two and Out CFL, we really interact with fans on there, and we really push out all of the CFL news and retweet as much as we can. And we're on Facebook as well. Uh, personally, I'm at Travis underscore Cura on Twitter. T U R R A H. I got a green and white bobblehead of myself as the uh, profile picture, so I stand out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Travis, thanks for taking the time to join us here on the show. Uh, Hopefully we can get a chance to talk to you again sometime in the off season and uh, enjoy Grape Cup Week, enjoy Two and Out Live, and uh, enjoy everything to do with the playoffs. And best of luck in the uh, fantasy playoffs as well. Awesome! Thanks for having me, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care, man. Bye. Okay, talk to you later, man. Bye. All right, and that does it for Travis Curra of the Two and Out CFL podcast here on the Canadian Football Countdown. Uh, Always love chatting with Travis. It's always a pleasure. Uh, love the humor. Love all of his insight on everything. And I thought that was a great, great discussion on all things uh, playoffs as we welcome Michael Garrell back in uh, to round out the rest of the show here. Mike, what did you think? You woke me from my slumber. Um, but in fairness, um, I heard some of the interview in the bathroom uh, for those contests. When you're sitting here, I can only hear half of the conversation, uh, half of the conversation when it comes to what was on, um, what was on, like, I could only hear what, what Ryan was saying versus what Travis was saying, so I'll have to listen back to the interview, but 
given the fact that some of the questions you were asking them, I could kind of judge where the interview was going based on some of his answers. And, you know, this two and out podcast is one of the more active ones on social media, not just, uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, like certain podcasts. And that's not to slam other podcasts. The ones that are in the network are also fantastic shows, but, uh, chewing out along with, well, I wouldn't even put us in this boat because we're, I don't think we're as active as we could be on Twitter. That'd no, be ins- I take long social media breaks from tweeting. But I look at stuff. I just, I forget to tweet them myself. But anyway, but that, that, that beside the point. But anyway, um, no, just how active they are on Twitter, uh, supporting each other's work and promoting their work. And I'll tell you what, I think sitting here with you just listening to that interview, I could not be happier that those two guys filled that live show as fast as they did. Absolutely, yeah. Sold out crowd. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that from afar. I really wish we could be there for that, but it will still be fun to watch. Possible from afar. next year in Regina, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Doubtful for me, but possible for me because it's closer. Uh, not the Calgary isn't close, but I have some, I have some allegiances that I know that are diehard rider fans that are probably gonna make their way down there, so. Begrudgingly, I might be in the bathroom vehicle going along for the ride, which wouldn't be the end of the world. I kind of have a wedding to use expenses yeah. and vacation time for. So, Great Cup 2020, doubtful for me, but hey, maybe one year. Uh, Mike, let's There's talk... always 2021 in Hamilton. Yes, there, that's true. All right, let's do our playoff preview here. We have six teams left. Uh, my, uh, BC, Ottawa, Toronto are all gone. We're down to our final six. We talked about each of those matchups a little bit with uh, with Travis there. Uh, let's get your take on these, Mike, and let's start off with... First, let's start off with the two teams that earned themselves a bye week really quickly here. Uh, start off with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. How are you feeling about the Tiger Cats going into the playoffs here? Well, um, I think I can say this because I... I think it's fair to suggest this. I'm skeptical. Only from the standpoint that they have put so much pressure on themselves now at 15 and 3. We've seen this movie before with the Calgary Stampeders and, and their great teams. I'm just wondering in a one game scenario, one kit at the can. I believe, and I, I, I firmly believe this, if the Hamilton Tiger Cats are going to lose one game in these playoffs, it is going to be the Eastern Final. Because I think the team that is licking their chops at playing them is the Montreal Alouettes. And we saw what happened the last time most two teams got together. Granted, there were a lot of in-and-out players playing half a game. The way Vernon Adams was playing and the way he played when they took him out, that game was 14 apiece. For one kid at the can, and the same could be said about 
the third place team in the West, the second place team in the West. It's one game. The regular season 15 and 3 means this much. And Ryan, you can see that I have a zero on my fingers. And I am just so skeptical based on what we've seen with Calgary and the history and the pressure and if anybody knows what Hamilton is going through, it's Calgary. And I bet you, I would not be surprised if Orlando Steinhauer reached out to Dave Dickinson and said, how did you deal with this pressure? Because this is also a team that had the second longest Grey Cup drought behind the Bombers. The minute something goes wrong, and I know what it's like in Winnipeg, right? Some, something goes wrong, you can't have anything nice. I hope the fans don't turn on them, but everything's just gone so right that if one team plays with them, and I, in, in my head I'm thinking... Montreal might be the team for a massive upset. So, the long and short of it is, Hamilton wins the Grey Cup. I'm saying it right here, right now. Unless they beat themselves. To me, and the pressure becomes too great. And the thing is, you can't make the moment bigger than it is. Yeah, the pressure on them is huge based on the season they have. Because they're everybody's Grey Cup favorites right now. They have to be. Right? They're mine. They're mine as well, and but to me, I just don't see what leads to the Ticats losing a game because you, you talk about, okay, Dane Evans, you know, does the playoff pressure get to him all of a sudden? Well, sure, okay, Dane Evans has a tough day. Doesn't mean the defense has a tough day. Frankie Williams, Brandon Banks could win a game on kick returns alone potentially for the Ticats if the defense plays well. So that's my big thing and why the Ticats are such favorites to me. I get the argument you make about the the pressure on them, but I just don't see how all three facets of the Ticats game fail at once. And I think as long as as long as two of the three play well, the Ticats are going to win any game. I, I've just seen this movie, Calgary, such a heavy favorite, and bang, it doesn't happen. That, that's just my take on Hamill. There hasn't been an awful lot, but it hasn't gone wrong. And do you want the pressure of not having won a great cup? Basically, it wanted the Blue Bombers. A few years shorter. To the mercy of Tiger Cat fans. This is your greatest chance to win the great cup. You don't know when you're going to have... Heck, I know you're not going to have this team next year. There is going to be changes. There is changes on every CFL team. It's just, when do you get here again? Let's talk. Can you seize the moment with the team you have, or does the pressure become too much? And I'm really worried about Dane Evans. I don't know. I'm not. He's looked good the whole way. I, I, if Dane I just... Evans throws four interceptions, it doesn't matter what those two other... Facets do I mean, they won a game this week when Hayden Moore threw four interceptions, so... those the argument, but maybe I'm just too naive to paint, or maybe I'm too high-hyped up on Montreal, but anyway, it, it just seems to me like, bottom line of what I'm trying to say, Hamilton wins the Grey Cup unless they beat themselves. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Uh, other side of the... CFL, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders clinch first place in the West. They have the bye week. 
uh, as Travis was just talking about, you know, in regards to Cody Fajardo's injury, uh, that it was slipped uh, in the media that he has potentially a torn oblique here, which very likely, you know, there is a possibility as much as he's going to say he's ready to go for the West final. We won't know until last minute, I'm guessing, whether Cody Fajardo is ready to go. Uh, I, I have the Riders as a favorite out West if Cody Fajardo's in there. If it's Isaac Harker, I know he played well this week, but I don't know. I I, I think Cody Fajardo has that last-minute magic in him to pull out the wins they need to because I think there's going to be a lot of close games here out West. I think, to me, the Riders as Grey Cup favorites hinges on whether Fajardo plays. Here's, I'll, I'll say this. Knowing what I know and having been around sports teams and oblique injuries, contrary to what is out there and contrary to what he says, I'll be ready. If the game was this sweet, it's my belief he wouldn't be playing. No. How much can you hear when a wheat? Depends on the body and the treatment. So to you, where, how how do you size up the riders? Okay, let, is, let's let's t- do this in two parts. T- Cody Fajardo is playing. What do you like? How do you like the riders' chances in a Western final? Again, it's inexperienced quarterback. Both of these quarterbacks have very little play in big games. All of these quarterbacks, except Bowie Vi Mitchell, do around the CFL. Correct. So. So, so it's a very interesting scenario when it comes to, and I, I think the writers too, they got to mitigate their turnovers, and this is with Fajardo in the game. Mitigate their turnovers. Defense has to do just enough. If Fajardo does not play, defense needs to score a touchdown. Defense needs the special teams, needs to help out with field position. That's something I didn't see a lot of last week. Well, yeah, Brett Water missed four field goals. You can't leave points on the field because I, I'll say this. Trevor Harris played that game last week. I'm not sure the writers win. And any playoff game one would imagine that involves Zach Talaros, Chris Traveler, or Bowley by Mitchell. You can't be leaving points on the field. What they tell me, they left points on the field two weeks ago against Winnipeg and they lost. What happened the week before? Bombers left points on the field against Calgary and lost. So, is it a complete write-off for you if Fajardo doesn't play? Because to me, it's not. Because I've seen the Saskatchewan defense go and carry the team to wins. We have. We also haven't even talked yet about William Powell and how he can take charge if they yeah. need to and dominate a game. You you have those kick returners for Saskatchewan. I think this team stands a chance whether or not Fajardo's in there. They're just not my favorites, but I'm not ruling them out. Put it to you this way. I'm squirming around with this is not good. If I'm a Ryder fan of Fajardo doesn't play, uh, a lot more questions than answers, but I'm not in full-out panic. But if Pajardo's playing, I'm a lot more comfortable and I'm sleeping a lot more soundly. Let's talk about the... And that, that could be said about any other any team. Let's talk about the Eastern semifinal here. Mm-hmm. The uh, Montreal Alouettes hosting the crossover Edmonton Eskimos. What do you make of this game? I, I, I think we all know where you're heading with it, but 
in, in what fashion? Well, here's the thing. Yes, I'm pitching Montreal. I'll say that right now. But if Edmonton can clean up their penalties, and if Trevor Harris has a dead game, well, I'll stop you at that first point. That's an Edmonton loss right there because they're never going to clean up the penalties. Correct. So, therefore, <laughs> it's automatic Montreal. If Edmonton can stop, like, I don't know. I wish we could have Eskimo fans on this podcast and just get into their head when they take these dumb penalties. It's it gets to the point, I'm assuming for me anyway, where you get aggravated about the same thing happening. There comes a point where you just go, oh, wow, we're so used to it. We've seen this movie so many times. It's like Bomber's last second defensive uh, breakdowns. And the worst part about this is... It seems to be the same players, and nothing is done about it. Because you know why? And sorry, Edmonton fans, you're not going to want to hear this. But you have a head coach that is very easily undone at the screws with anything that aggravates them. And there's a saying, and I've been around enough teams. The team is a model of your coach. Yeah, and like this seems like a large task at hand for the Eskimos. The Eskimos, to me, just looking at fan perception, are huge underdogs coming into this game. To me, they're two and six in their last eight, and you're resting starters Saturday in Regina. I believe they're also one and seven, one and eight against playoff teams on the season, something like, like it that. It doesn't so. make a whole lot of sense, and what this tells me. Resting Trevor Harris after bringing him back to the game before. This tells me that Trevor Harris is not fully healthy. Contrary to what they're saying. If he's fully healthy, he's played one game in the last six weeks-ish. If he's fully healthy, I would want to get him in that game to get him some looks. The fact that he did not play in that game at all tells me that he's basically one play away very likely from getting hurt. Now, that's any quarterback, but something tells me he is not fully healthy. Okay, I'll play devil's advocate. What did you say the Eskimos record in their last day was? Two and six? Two and six or something, two and five. Okay, so if Trevor Harris isn't quite healthy, are you looking at this as, because he missed most of those games, right? Mm -hmm. Are you looking at this as a situation with Edmonton then, like, Okay, we need him in the playoffs, so we are going to sit him in week twenty. Like I don't I get what you're saying. No, about but in the same sense he's played one game. And you want to make sure he can play that game in the playoffs, right? Like I get what you're saying, but I think but you also get what I'm saying. I right? just my biggest problem is we didn't see him at all. At all. See him for a quarter, see him for a drive, something that would inspire me of confidence because I would venture to death if you took a poll of Edmonton fans how many realistically think percentage-wide they're going to win that game? Because remember, it's Montreal's first playoff game in, at Molson Stadium in many years. That atmosphere is going to be nuts. And I would venture to guess, just look at the history. No team has crossed over. And gone to the Great Cup. Would you probably say 30% of Astro fans will win that game? I don't think there's a high percentage of people 
that think the Eskimos are going to win this game, like, here, I'll go right now to CFL pick them. Well, well, here's the other thing. Are you and I and the rest of us looking at this with glasses that are not there? Are we underselling Edmonton based on what we've seen in the past half the season? But then you look at their record against playoff teams. They didn't win a game. Didn't win the series against the Bombers. They didn't win the series against the Riders. They didn't win the series against Calgary. They maybe won the season series against BC. But they basically conceivably lost the season series to just about every team within the playoffs. Okay, so the CFL Pick'em doesn't have the games set up yet for the playoffs, it looks like. Or maybe I just can't find them right now. So I was going to look at the percentage of people who picked the Eskimos to win. I would imagine most people are picking Montreal in this game. I just want, I, I, I want to, for the sake of interesting debate, I want to make this interesting here and talk about it from this perspective. Montreal's defense can make the big plays at time, but they also do give up a lot of yards, do give up a lot of points. Just look at this week against Ottawa. Like, Ottawa put up 32 points on them. They put, I, I venture that Ottawa's three, I want to say like three of their five highest scoring games of the season or two of their highest five or something like that, were against Montreal because there was a week earlier in the season where they beat Montreal in overtime. Montreal has also been in a lot of close games that have gone to overtime, been decided in the final minute. So it's not like Montreal has dominated teams along the way. It has been close. And to me, Trevor Harris is that quarterback. And yes, you know, whether he's 100% plays a bit into this. But I think there's been a bit of room to maneuver against this Alouette's defense. And Trevor Harris is a guy that he may not always be at his best, but when he's at his best, it's hard to beat him. Look at what he did in the playoffs last year. I mentioned this with Travis already. I'm not arguing what you're saying. I just don't think that they can get the penalties straightened out, and I just don't. Hmm. I, I, I think you really need a 500-yard game and four touchdowns. Yeah, I, to be fair, I'm I'm taking Montreal as well. I'm I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate. No, I, 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 I do I, I, think I, the Alouettes are the better team. I love everything they have going on on offense. Defensively, that's my only concern there. But I do agree with all the points you made about the penalty situation, the tempers uh, on that Eskimos roster. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'm taking Montreal as well. Let's talk about the West semifinal. Winnipeg goes into Calgary. Again, I mentioned this earlier with Travis. Third time in four weeks these two teams are playing each other. Gamesmanship at its finest, right? Like, that's what this week is going to be. How – this is such a weird scenario that you play the, mm. the same team. Like, the last three games for the Bombers have been against the same team. Does that make it more confusing on how to predict this game to go or – no. No, because I think you looked at the track record and you got a lot of video. There's no secrets. It's not like you played them three times in June and the rosters have changed over. You can't basically redo an entire football team and bring in 20 new guys from a week to week. and It's all out there. Same with Calgary. They know Winnipeg's secret. They know, and we know, and you know, and I know, the only way the Bombers stand a chance in this game is if they start number eight at quarterback. I... He is the great wild card in this whole thing. He holds the key to what happens in the West. 
because if we get anywhere close to what Zach Talaros was on his MOP season before he got hurt, That's or even half if, of what though. he was. That's a huge if. No, but if you get 50 to 60% more out of Talaros this week than what you got out of him that one game that he played, I like that a lot more than what I saw out of Calgary last week. And that, mm-hmm. to me, is the great equalizer to this whole thing. You can talk about Bo Levi Mitchell. You can talk about Cody Pajardo. And I'm going to come out and say this right now. The winner of this Calgary Winnipeg game will play in the Grey Cup. Okay. To me, the thing... This game is going to come down to Paul Apolis to me, and mm-hmm. how he draws things up for the Bombers. Because if Chris Strebler can play, they have a glorious opportunity here against Calgary to go and do a dual quarterback system where Caleros goes in, you have packages for Strebler. But here's the key to me. If you're going to throw Chris Strebler in there, don't throw him in there just to go and run when everybody expects him to run. Right. I want to see them, you know, throw Strebler in for a series, have them throw the ball when they don't expect them to. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see what we saw when the Bombers played in Calgary a game last year. Uh, second and one, and uh, Strebler threw an 80-yard touchdown pass, right? So I, I, that's the type of plays you want to see. To me, a lot, and those games where the Bombers blew it this season against Toronto and against Montreal. Boy, are those coming back to haunt them potentially. And I think, I hate to say it, but part of that was on Lapo, and part of this lands on his plate of how he manages the run game because it's not going to be easy to manage. It's not going to be easy to manage the run game against Calgary. Look at John White's struggles last week. Uh, Look at Andrew Harris the past couple games. You can't go away from it, though, in the second half if you get ahead as the Bombers, or if you get behind, and you need to utilize, you know, the quarterback rotation properly there on offense. So I think that's the big key to me is this. Calgary standpoint, yeah, Calgary at home, Calgary in the playoffs, sands the Grey Cup. I know they struggle sometimes in the Grey Cup, but when you look at the games to get to the Grey Cup, Calgary's pretty darn flawless a lot of times, right? And Bo Levi Mitchell is pretty flawless in those games when it comes to playoffs. He's lit up the Bombers twice already, uh, you know, in those two back-to-back matchups. Like, to me, on the Calgary standpoint, this hinges on who's healthy for this game. Because they are banged up right now. Can I pin this down to one matchup? Sure. Andrew Harris against the Calgary running bats. I would take Harris in that situation any day. I know know that. And if you're the Bombers and you know that you have one of the best run defenses in the league, whether it's Don Johnson, whether it's Milanovic Lido, whether it's Terry Williams, whether it's anybody else that they throw in there. Comes down to Bomber pass defense. Can they force some turnovers? Can they force some timely drops? And can Andrew Harris find some running room? I will say this, the player I'm most excited to watch in this game, and I think if the Bombers are going to win this game, he might have to do it a third time, Mike, is uh, Jernarian Grant. Uh, In the win against Calgary back in the middle of the season, he had a huge return touchdown that led to the win. 
Uh, he had that two point or that missed convert return for two points that led to the win this time against Calgary. I think the Bombers are going to need some special teams help. If you can get Zach Caleros to the Calgary side of the field and he doesn't have to go that far to punch the ball into the end zone, that's going to go a long way here for the Bombers. Genarian Draft's most successful games in the CFL at the Bombers have come against Calgary. They have. And now this is up to Mark Killam, a special teams coordinator and assistant head coach, to devise a plan to get Genarian Grant negative yards as possible. And if I'm the Bombers, yes, that means using Lucky Whitehead. Yes, that means using Genarian Grant. Use all the weapons you got to return football and make it miserable as to who. Make them guess who's going to run the ball back. I am so excited for this game this weekend because we are at this point five minutes away from two hours into this show, and I still haven't decided which team I'm picking to win this game. I have. I think it will be darn close. Who are you taking so, to win? So why has your mind changed from, or can I ask the question, you said the Bombers have a 0.0% chance. Ouch, you're throwing that out there on the air, aren't you? Of going to the great top. But yeah, you haven't picked who's going to win this game. So is your problem the second game if they get out of this game? or? I think there's a chance they win this game. I don't think there is a chance necessarily that they win two in a row. Why? That they went toe-to-toe with them in Saskatchewan twice already. That being said, if Cody Fajardo doesn't play, then maybe I give them a chance in that second game against Saskatchewan. So, But to me, it's going to be tough to go into Calgary, go into Saskatchewan, especially in the playoffs. You know, you look at the Bombers' record, 8-1 and one at home this season. What was it, 3-6 and six on the road? Something like that, I believe. So they haven't been great on the road this season. That's some tough defenses they're playing, too. Well, they could have three more road wins if you count the ladder, walk up, and two collapses on the road. Yeah. So. And then you're also talking about not even playing this week. Exactly. So I, I don't know. I don't think. I really don't think they win both. But I, I'm giving them a chance this week. I, I, I think there's a chance. And a lot of that has to do with how many injuries Calgary has. Do you want my pet? Go for it. Calgary by 17. Oh, geez, I did not see that coming. Can you I explain just, that one? Because that was the exact opposite of what I thought. I don't think Bully by Mitchell is going to screw this one up. And I think if he makes a couple of those throws... That miss dies by this much. We're looking at something completely different two weeks ago. And I just don't trust this bomber defense when it all comes down to it. And heck, I don't even trust but that allows it didn't be the starting quarterback. Well, if he's I think he will be. I don't think if there's Traveler's healthy? I don't think there's any doubt Claros is starting. I I think they'll both play. I I think Claros should start. But I just never know what Michael say. Well, I'm running. I'll be glad to be wrong. I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to have to make a pick on this. I'm going to take the Bombers to win a close matchup. I think it's going to be really darn close, but I think those injuries do play into it. And I think, like you've mentioned, maybe the pressure of playing at home for Calgary to get to the Grey Cup, maybe that gets to them a little bit having the Grey Cup at home. We've seen that before for teams, right? We saw that with Ottawa a couple years ago. It's possible. So I'm taking I'm taking the Bombers to win a close one. Uh, which two teams do you have in the finals, and who do you have as your Grey Cup winner? 
Calgary over Hamilton. So you have Calgary repeating. I have Calgary repeating and winning at home. Well, I quit super quick. Take us through the perspective. Uh, I just feel that if Calgary gets through Winnipeg, I don't like the help of Fajardo. And I think Fajardo gets exposed a little bit in a Western final. I have Hamilton beating Saskatchewan for the Cup. Uh, more often than not, as you've mentioned already, the top team in the division makes it to the Grey Cup. I think Hamilton looks unstoppable at this point. The Riders only got to win one game to get there. But uh, I have Hamilton taking it in this one as well. So I have the Ticats over the Riders. You have uh, Calgary over Hamilton. Yeah. Grey Cup MVP, super quick. Who is it? Budgie Badleton. For me, I have uh, Braylon Addison for the Ticats. Good pit. You as well. That does it for our two-hour playoff preview show. We'll be back next week to round up round one and uh, talk about the matchups for week two. Uh, we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. Find us on Twitter at cfc on Mike FM as well. Uh, and thanks again to Travis for, from Two and Out for joining us here on the podcast today. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening. Bye.